0: Always a great day when you can start a service with baptisms, amen? Amen. Today we are continuing in our sermon series through the Psalms, and we are doing a reading plan to go along with it, and if you haven't jumped in on that reading plan, it's not too late folks, Uh, you'll find a bookmarker like this that has them ticked off at 10 a week. Read two a day, you'll read 10 a week with a weekend to catch up, so if you haven't jumped in on this, I encourage you to do that. So this past week, if you've been following the reading plan, you read Psalm 11 through 20. And out of those 10 psalms each week, I'm praying about which one the Lord would have me to preach from. And today, something about Psalm 19 stirred my spirit, and I thought it might be a word from God to us today. So turn over to Psalm 19. As you do, if you have a Bible with you, you'll find it. If not, uh, find it on uh, Pew Bible, page 541. Psalm 19 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard for them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of the righteous, all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And the psalmist closes with these words. May these words of my mouth and these meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Real quick word here. Kingdom Kids is moving to every other week. It's a great ministry for those who are four years old, out of the nursery through second grade. But we've had a lot of our Kingdom Kids nursery uh, workers unable to continue on. And so during the sermon, that's usually when they head out to the education building, have a chance to learn and grow at their level uh, so that means we are looking for some volunteers, you'll see an announcement in your bulletin, you'll see a place to check a box, and so if you want to help with Kingdom Kids, you'll be on a rotation with four or six others, and that means you would be serving in that capacity every four to six weeks, and so if that's something you feel the Lord might call you to do, we would love to talk to you. My beautiful wife, Ms. Marsha, is the coordinator for that, and so she you'll be on good hands. So uh, today is our off week, so we don't have Kingdom Kids today. All that to say, no Kingdom Kids today, all right? But I do want to pause here just for a moment and uh, invite you to pray with me as we approach God's word together. Would you pray? Father God, we come to your word for some of us out of a very hectic and busy week, for some of us out of a slow and lonely week, for some of us out of illness or caring or worrying for those that we love who are ill. God, we may come to this place with a thousand pounds of worry on our back about what tomorrow holds. God, we bring all that to you. We lift all that up to you. We're here to listen to what you have to say, to see what you see, to love what you love and to live as you've called us to. So, Father, I don't ask that all of us would have the ability to put everything aside to hear from you, but that we would put everything underneath what it is you want to say. Help us to examine our lives based on what your word has to communicate to us. And help us to leave from this place changed more like your son Jesus than when we came. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, over the summer, uh, our family got to do some sightseeing things, and what was interesting is, you know, we went, we went to Yellowstone, we went to the Grand Tetons, uh, we saw Mount Rushmore, and some really cool stuff, but when we were asking our kids last week, we were coming up on uh, an opportunity for me to give a report on the sabbatical to our church family, and we were talking to our kids, and we were asking them what did they want to share And everything they wanted to share about had to do with our trip to West Texas, believe it or not, to the Big Bend area. And the first place we went was to Fort Davis, to the McDonald Observatory. And I owe some credit to Miss Donna, who planted that seed in my mind. And I thought, well, that would be really neat, because one of the things I wanted to do while I was off over the summer was to connect with God in nature. I don't know if any of you are geared that way, but there's something about seeing the beauty of God's creation that draws you close to him, right? And so I thought this would be a really cool experience, and it turns out it was, because our kids absolutely loved it. We loved it as well. We went out to Fort Davis, went up to the McDonald's Observatory, and for the first time with my own eyes, I got to see the Milky Way Galaxy. I've got a picture of it that I did not take because my picture would not have done this justice. But take a look at this. Look look at this picture over here. It's coming your way. This is actually a picture from the Milky Way or or from the McDonald Observatory. But again, I took a picture, but you would not be impressed. This This is really impressive. And we saw something like that while we were there. It wasn't quite that vivid, probably some camera trickery going on there. I don't know. But it was stunning. It was really beautiful. And what you realize when you're looking at it is all of those stars and what looks like dust sprinkled throughout the Milky Way galaxy are stars. What you realize is the Milky Way galaxy is, a, is the galaxy in which, you know, our solar system is a little corner of it. All these stars you're seeing is in this one galaxy. And there's billions of stars in this one galaxy in which our solar system is just over in the over in the corner what's mind-blowing is to think not just about all those stars in this one galaxy but to know that this one galaxy the Milky Way galaxy is one of billions of galaxies and each of those billions of galaxies have billions of stars it's amazing and to see it with my own eyes and not just see a picture it blew me away so I instantly thought of this experience when I read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And the psalmist says they're not using words. Their message has no words. No sound is heard from them, but the message is still clear. But what, what is the message? Another way to put it is: Why are there so many stars? Why are there billions of stars in this one galaxy? Why are there billions of galaxies with billions of stars in each of those? Why does it have to be so enormous, so vast, so impressive? And the obvious answer that the psalmist would tell us is because it's telling us something about God. It's telling us something about His His power, His might, His creativity. And the exact words of the psalm of the psalmist tells us something about the glory of God, the impressive weight of who he is. And I don't know about you, but I remember first becoming aware of how big this universe is that we live in and feeling so small because I knew something big had to make all that. And as a kid, I didn't know who that was or what that was wouldn't find out till later on. But that moment in childhood, looking at the greatness of the sky above us, somehow communicated a message to me that something really big made that. And it still communicates that message. The psalmist goes from the stars in the sky and he gets a little bit closer to home. Starting in the end of verse 4. We read, in the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun, which is another way of saying that God found a home for the sun in in our sky. Verse 5, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. What, What does that mean? That the sun bursts forth with this enthusiasm for a new day, the same way a groom would wake up on his wedding day. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The day of competition has come, and there's excitement and thrill about that. We're looking forward to that moment. That's how the sun enters into our sky. It rises on the one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the others. Everything experiences its warmth. Now, another picture. I did take this one. I'm kind of proud of this one. There's a little bit more light in the sky, and my camera could capture this one. This is while we were driving driving around Big Bend. So I woke up while we were there really early, and I kind of already thought, I think I, are you ever, you ever think about something and you like set your own mental alarm clock and it just goes off whenever you were thinking about when it should go off without any help, you ever done that, ever happened to you? Okay, so that happened to me, I thought if I wake up early enough, I've already gotten to go out and see the Milky Way at the McDonald Observatory, now we're further down in the Big Bend area, and that's called a a, uh, dark sky haven meaning that there's very little light at night. And they work, and the cities work together to make sure the light doesn't shine up, it's not too bright, they're on timers, all sorts of ways to keep the sky super dark so you can see the beauty of what's up there. So, so this whole area is one of, the, one of the largest and darkest places in North America. And so I've already seen this once, and now I want to see it again, and I know if I wake up early enough I'll get to see it. And so I guess God just set that mental alarm clock for me because I was up early and I was super quiet and I snuck out of this little place we were staying. All the kids were pretty close to each other. I snuck out and I get down the road and Marsha calls or texts and says, where are you? What are you doing? And I explained and she said, well, everybody's up. At what time was that? That was early. It was like before five o'clock. It was four o'clock in the morning, y'all. All the kids were up. So I circle back. Got all of them. We drove down this super dark road way down over in Big Bend area. And we got over to uh, the visitor center for the state park. There's a national park and there's a state park. So we got over to the visitor center of the state park. Of course, it's not open. Nobody's there. But it's pitch black. And we get out and we look up and we see the stars. We see the Milky Way. It's amazing to see shooting stars. Like you, Like sometimes you don't even realize how often those are happening because we have, you know, too much light where we live. And it was so cool. And on our drive back, I took this picture as the sun began to rise. The psalmist turns his attention from the stars in the sky to the sun that rises and sets. He says with this kind of beautiful language that the sky, that God has made the sky, our sky, the star's home, the sun's home. And says that we all benefit from the war from the warmth. Maybe, maybe you've heard this before. I tried to track down some exact information but the best I could get is that if the earth were 10 percent closer to the sun it would be too hot for us to live on. If it was 10 percent further away it would be too cold for us to live on. It's right in this sweet spot where we feel the warmth of the sun and we can exist here. This is how God has placed the sun in our sky. So from, you get from the vastness of the galaxy to the warmth of the sun, and it's telling us a message that God is truly glorious. But sometimes it's hard to see that, right? Sometimes it's hard to see the glory of God, to see how big he really is. I think there's at least two things that keep us from it. One is the pollution, As I said before, these dark sky places, the reason they're so dark and beautiful is because they do uh, a lot of work to make sure there's not light pollution. When I was first looking into this over the summer, I had never heard of this idea before in my life, that there's actually light pollution, but when you think about it, there's lots of it. You know, how many lights there are everywhere, and they don't, they're not small lights, they can be big lights in cities. They don't just shine down, but they shine up, and it keeps you from being able to see what's really up there. Now, what's really up there is still bright and beautiful. But that light pollution, it keeps us from seeing it. It's still there. It's still glorious. But the pollution that we're experiencing keeps us from seeing it. And I think sometimes in our lives, we don't see the glory of God because there's pollution in our life that keep us from it. The psalmist would talk about this. Verse 13, the first part, he says, keep your servant from willful sins that they may not rule over me. You probably have noticed this, it's kind of interesting, that you get through about half of the psalm and the psalmist turns from recognizing the glory of God and the creation of God, particularly in the sky, and he makes what feels like a hard shift to talk about God's laws or commands but what he's pointing out is if we want to see the glory of God we need to be aware of the things that will get in the way and one of them he says is willful sins the sins that we willfully and knowingly commit that they obscure our view of God they're like light pollution in our lives doesn't affect the glory of God But it affects our experience of the glory of God. When our eyes are so fixated on what we want and what our desires are, and our eyes cannot at the same time be on God, Jesus would say it this way, you can't serve two masters, you have to choose. Will you serve the things of the world or will you serve God, your creator? And the more often with regularity we give in to the willful sins of the flesh that the scriptures warns us about, God, he gets smaller in our view. He shrinks in our mind's eye. His glory is still there beyond that pollution. But we can't see it. But this is not the only problem that the psalmist points out. He actually points out a second problem. And this is confessional. He says, Lord, don't let me fall into willful sins. But then he also says, Lord, don't let me fall into hidden sins. Things I don't see coming. Verse 12, he says, but who can discern their own errors? I can't even see what's in my way. He says, forgive my hidden faults, the things I I, I can't even see. Well, how do we get there where we can't see our own sins? And I think, at least for myself, it's because I can be so easily distracted. One of the things he says here is, To see the sunrise and set, that there's something about the glory of God in this way. How many of you wake up every day to see the sunrise and sunset? Some of you do. Most of us don't, right? We got stuff to do, right? I want to get every ounce of sleep out as possible because this day is about to wear me out. At the end of the day, I'm too tired. I've got too many things to do to get kids ready for bed, and we got school tomorrow, and it's very easy to get distracted. I don't have time to go sit on my porch and watch that sun come up or watch that sun go down. I just don't. I've got a lot of other things going on, important things, but still things that can distract me from the glory of God, things that can grab my attention and pretty soon, I'm not paying attention to my own soul. And I think that's at least one of the ways in which the psalmist points out, I've got hidden faults I can't even see. Sometimes we can't see them because we are so distracted by so many other things going on in our life. But, but the answer to this isn't to move out to West Texas, to the Big Bend area, to a dark sky sanctuary. That's, that's not the answer. The answer isn't to wake up early enough every morning and go sit on the porch and watch the sun rise or go at night and watch the sun set. That's not the answer. The answer, I think, is to do what the psalmist is doing and ponder the glory of God. To see who he really is. And it's to ask the question, what does this God desire of me? I've already pointed this out, that the psalmist goes from the glory of God to what God desires of him. What are God's laws, statutes, precepts, commands, decrees? What does God desire of me? To see the glory of God and not ask that question is to not see the glory of God. To see how incredible God is leads us to the question of how we should relate to this God. What does he desire of me? So the psalmist says, the fear of the Lord, verse 9, is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. To fear or to have a respectful awe of God is to to desire to know what he desires both now in this life and forever. It's to say once we see what he desires, this is firm. In a world that makes truth squishy, this is firm. In my own heart that can be fickle, what God wants is firm. What he wants is right. And the psalmist is showing us it should be pursued. But once you see the glory of God and you ask the question, what does he desire of me? We look in his word to find it. And what's amazing, this is just who God is. What God desires of us is also what he desires for us. Isn't that incredible? What he desires of us is also what he desires for us. Look at what he says about this. This is amazing. The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. Verse 7. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now, I know the answer to the question already. Don't you want that? Of course, we do. We want our souls to be refreshed. We want to be wise in how we live our lives. We want to have joy in our hearts. We want to be able to see things correctly. What God is desiring of us is also what he desires for us. These are good things. God's word is good. His commands are good. And so the psalmist says in the end of verse 11, keeping them there is great reward. All these benefits of knowing and following God's word, the Bible. It's why the psalmist will say that this is more precious than gold. Not just gold, but gold that's been through the refinery and all the impurities have been scraped off. This is sweeter than honey. And not just the cheap stuff you might buy at the store, but straight off the honeycomb. I mean, this is good stuff. I think sometimes we don't see it that way. But I think that's how Satan whispers in our ear like he did to Eve. Did God really say? Is this really true? Are you sure? And if he can plant a seed of doubt, then we don't see these things that the psalmist sees, but what he sees is that all these things that God commands and asks of us are actually for our benefit. They're for our good, whether we can experience it right away or not. They are for our good. What he desires of us is also what he desires for us. So as we gaze on the glory of God, as we spend time pondering and thinking about how incredible he is, and looking up at the night sky is one way, watching a sunset arise is another way. There's a million ways to think about how amazing and glorious God is. And as we do that, we can't help but turn our minds and say, so what does this God desire of me Once God's glory is in proper perspective, once we've considered what his will is, I think it's possible that we walk away and say, that's too hard. How could I do that? God's asking too much. I can't, I can't be like that. His commands are, are too difficult for someone like me. His requirements are, are too high. I, I can't ever reach that. And let me tell you, you would be right. That is exactly, exactly an accurate statement to make. To see the glory of God and know you don't measure up is a truthful statement that we all have to come to grips with. But in that same moment, what makes so God so glorious is that the creator of, this, of the heavens and the earth, the one who put the sun in the sky... The one who knows you and knows that you don't measure up. He loves you anyways. And it's not a sentimental love. It's not a love that loves us through rose-colored glasses. It's a love that's willing to pay a price to make us lovable. It's a love that's willing to sacrifice that our lives might be free from sin that keeps us from the glory of God. That might pour into our life righteousness. It helps us experience the glory of God. The willful sins we commit, the hidden sins that we may not even know about. They keep us from the glory of God, but God says no. I am not letting the story in there. From before the creation of the world was ever made, he had a plan for your redemption and mine. And that redemption comes through the Son, Jesus. His sacrificial death covers our sin. His perfect life lived then and now is credited to us as righteousness. So when we see the glory of God and we ask, what do you require of me? And then when we find out what it requires and we say, I don't have enough, God says, but I do. I've provided it for you. All that is asked of you is to confess that your righteousness is not enough and never will be. And to trust that Jesus is enough and always will be. Let's pray.